Richard Walker. And in this podcast, I want to talk about the early life of one woman who grew up in the city of London during the reign of Queen Victoria. She's remembered today because at around 3.40 in the morning of August 31st, 1888, her body was found lying in a dark and narrow lane behind Whitechapel Station. She was identified as Mary Ann Nichols. She was murdered just five days after her 43rd birthday. It is for her murder that she achieved a lasting celebrity. Mary Ann Nichols is said to be the first of the five women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. The first official summary of her death was dated the same day that her body was found, 31st of August, 1888. In his report, Inspector John Spratling said that 3.45 on 31st of August, P.C. John Neal found the dead body of a woman lying on her back with her clothes a little above her knees, with her throat cut from ear to ear, in Bucks Row, Whitechapel. Inspector Spratling goes on to say, that the doctor discovered that her throat had been cut from left to right, two distinct cuts being on the left side, the windpipe, gullet and spinal cord being cut through, a bruise apparently of a thumb being on the right lower jaw and also one on the left cheek. The report went on to say that the stomach had also been ripped open. A week later, a police report dated the 7th of September opened with Deceased, identified as Mary Ann Nichols, a prostitute who separated from her husband nine years ago. The question I want to answer is, how did this 43-year-old woman end up alone in the early hours of August 31st, 1888, on the mean streets of Whitechapel? For some, of course, it is enough to say that she ended up that way simply because she was a prostitute, as the police and newspapers at the time explained. Martin Vido, in his book The Crimes, Detection and Death of Jack the Ripper, describes her as a drab little woman who drank her husband's wages. He says it was established that she was practicing prostitution. In Philip Sumpton's book The Complete History of Jack the Ripper, he explains that Polly Nichols and the other victims prostitutes all, accustomed to accosting men and taking them to dark and unfrequented byways and yards for sex, greatly facilitated his crimes. So the explanation for the murders is that a killer, for his own reasons, was targeting prostitutes, and the line of inquiry followed by the police at the time was that they were looking for a prostitute killer. And the more than a hundred suspects have one thing in common. They were killing prostitutes, each of them. With their own particular reasons. So how did Mary Ann Nichols become a prostitute? She was born on the 26th of August 1845 and christened Mary Ann Walker, but known from her early years as Polly. She was the second child of Edward and Caroline Walker. Edward was a skilled worker, a blacksmith, who was working in the print industry around Fleet Street. Social reformer Charles Booth described abject poverty as being a family with an income below a pound a week. There were tens of thousands in London's East End who had to survive on a tiny fraction of a pound a week. In the final years of her life, Polly was one of them. 
but thousands of children were born into abject poverty, sharing a tiny, vermin-infested room with older brothers and sisters who slept together on the floor, while the younger children might share a makeshift bed with mother and father, who might be making more children. Morality, as the campaigner Andrew Means pointed out, would be difficult to maintain in these conditions. So it wasn't surprising that some parents launched their children into careers of petty theft or child prostitution. Child prostitution was rife. The editor of the Pall Mall Gazette, William Thomas Steed, said that there was one district with 43 brothels, with 428 women and children, many of them not 12 years of age, working there as prostitutes. In his campaign against child prostitution, he bought the 13-year-old Eliza Armstrong from her mother for five pounds, just to show how easy it was. This didn't happen to Polly. She very definitely didn't become a child prostitute. Edward Walker had an income that would have been around double what Charles Booth said was the cut-off point between living in abject poverty and simply being poor. And Edward didn't have a big family to take care of because his wife Caroline died of tuberculosis before Polly was seven years old. And two years later, his youngest son died of the same disease. Edward was able to afford to send Polly to school. Now, education didn't become compulsory until 1876, but during her childhood in the 1850s, Polly received an education right up to the age of 15. That was far from common, and especially not common for girls. And those girls who were lucky enough to receive an education would usually be taught to read, but not write. Polly was taught both skills. Then, as a teenage girl... Polly didn't follow the usual path into domestic service, where she might become a tempting young thing for any male member of the household to seduce or rape. For the household servants who found themselves pregnant and alone, respectable work was no longer available, and so prostitution became an option. But for Polly, when her schooling finished, rather than finding employment, she continued keeping house for her father and older brother who were earning the housekeeping. At 19, she married a Fleet Street printer, William Nichols, and Polly Walker became Polly Nichols. She then kept house for her husband, father, older brother, and eventually three children. It wasn't until she was 30 that the Nichols family had a place of their own. They were among those lucky enough to convince the custodians of the Peabody Trust that they had the right moral character and income to enable them to become tenants in the newly built Peabody Flats in Southwark. In July 1876, they moved into the flats in Stamford Street. And for the first time in her 30 years of life, Polly was not sharing a house with her father. Here she had her fourth child, and then her fifth, and then she and William began to argue. He claimed it was because she'd started drinking. She said it was because he'd started an affair with the next-door neighbour, Rosetta Walls. Rosetta was a younger woman whose husband had gone off to sea. Whatever the truth, on the 29th of March, 1880, 34-year-old Polly 
walked out of the Peabody Trust flats, never to return. Now Polly must have been desperate, because she went to the Lambeth Union workhouse. Workhouses will get their own podcast. But suffice it to say that it was as though the Victorian society had designed these places specifically to humiliate anybody who sought help there. In his book The People of the Abyss, Jack London describes his nights spent in one of these places, starting with having to strip off his clothes and belongings and enter a communal bath that had washed the bodies of all those who had entered that day. The Lambeth Union decided that William Nichols should pay five shillings a week for Polly's maintenance. Five shillings? that he felt would be better spent on the home he set up with Rosetta Walls and his growing family. Life for William Nichols changed. But it was nothing compared to the change that faced Polly. She was about to find out just how tough life could get for a woman at the very bottom of Victorian society to survive without a man. I hope you'll join me for my next podcast, part two of the life and times of Polly Nichols. I'm London Walk's tour guide, Richard Walker. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.